In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. Three on the way! Yes! Paul George nails it! For the win! All right, we're back. Dunks and Discourse, episode 59. Uh, we, we both looked. There is no NBA player who has ever worn the number 59. So our, our little gimmick has, has run out on us. However, there are two players who have worn 95. Jabari, what are the chances you know either of these names? I was like, uh, no, I know you're not about to ask me. Um, <laughs> let's any, see. Any guess? I. Uh, can you give me any hint whatsoever? I, yeah, no, I have, I have no idea. Yeah, no, I, I was going to say, like, DeAndre Bembry. Oh, yeah, him. Okay. Got it. was with the Hawks, wore, mm-hmm. wore 95 with the Hawks. Mm-hmm. So he's no longer with the Hawks. Um, <laughs> I actually kind of remember that. Like, I, I kind of remember it. Like, maybe there's a story behind 95 that I don't know, but um, I, I don't know what the story is there. Yeah, we, we that gimmick has run its course, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Bembry, however, did sign. Who did he just sign with? Raptors, I think. Mm-hmm. So he's going to go join the Raptors. Okay, so last week we talked about a lot of the contenders. We talked about some of the, the trade rumors and things to come. Um, you know, our producer Varun was talking a lot about John Wall this week. There's been a lot made of, you know, has he actually asked out? Hasn't he? Um, he was asked three times by a, a media member who credit honestly credit to that media member for pushing John for an answer, which is what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to just get their phone number and you know carry some water. You're supposed to ask them some questions. And man, he asked them three times. He got no commented three times, but he tried. He fought the fight. I honestly don't know what the read is on, on the Wizards. You know, it's funny when it was announced that, you know, the the Wizards were potentially looking to move on because of, you know, the apparent, you know, gang sign video or whatever, when, you know, that was always going to be funny to me because he's literally been doing that his entire career. Uh, Just like on the flip side, it it doesn't necessarily shock me that either one of these parties are are ready to move on. Um, And it really does feel like that's the case. And neither one of them want to just say, like, yeah, it's time to go. Uh, just officially without, you know, coming up with, you know, half steps or, you know, presenting it as so and then pulling back. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, at his best, things didn't work out there. You know, they never won 50 games. Uh, you know, never you know, made, never made a deep run. And, you know, no disrespect to, you know, Washington fans because I know, you know, producer Varun, you know, shout out to him. I know he's, you know, those words probably hurt. But the truth of the matter is, you know, you weren't all that great with him. Now you're two years removed, you know, coming off an Achilles or and, 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 and whatever else. It, it really is time to go ahead and move on if there's any opportunity whatsoever for that to happen. Yeah, and like here's the thing, man. Like, there's a lot more optimism on Wall and the Wizards than I imagined. Like, they are an easy lotto team to me right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, there's a lot of people like, well, what if? Like, what if Wall is back? And like, you know, our, our producers doing it. I'm in another chat with a bunch of NBA guys who are like, I could see, you know, the Wizards sneaking into that seven eight seat this year. Not, I'm just not seeing that, man. I'm, I'm not. They're not the team I am predicting to um, make a jump. But man, there's there's some optimism, and the thing with like the wall, the wall trade idea is like, they have to. They have to get him at his best, but they also have to have like, some contributions from a lot of young guys and role players who haven't really, shown the ability to do that. And and if Wall does want to trade, like, it's that joke about the mystery box. You know, you never know what you're gonna get. The only problem is that this mystery box costs a hundred and thirty million dollars. Like yeah. That's a big grab, man. Like, which team has a point guard that they don't want or that they think that wall is a – like, I mean, point guard is the most crowded position in the league. No, I mean, like, you know where I'm going to go. It, it's the same place we've been going. It's Russell Westbrook. Like, this. that's the reason why when I heard that rumor, I said, oh, okay, I could see that actually taking place. Well, that's the thing that killed me um, about about that whole rumor was like, man – 
to want to take for, to have a notoriously cheap owner in Tillman Fertitta that everyone's been busting up, you know, constantly um, about him, you know, cutting corners and trying to save bucks. Be potentially willing to to roll in that hundred thirty million dollar mystery box. Like, how unhappy is Russ? Slash, how unhappy are the Rockets with Russ? That's I mean, <laughs> at, at the very least, it, it it appeared that Russ did not. I mean, he made it very clear. Like, not only did he say he wanted to trade, he specifically went on record and said he does not like the you know he doesn't like how things are running there. He doesn't like you know like the lack of accountability. He doesn't like you know like the the way things you know the way the offense, you know, it basically centered around James Harden and a, a definite conversation could be had is like, well, Hey, look, obvi- you know, that was obvious from the start and you knew what you were you know, signing up for uh, that. You, you know, the reality is he's made it, you know, he's let it be known. Uh, here's, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and throw this out here. Um, it's total speculation, but I, I 100% believe that the Rockets will be sold within the next calendar year. Yeah. You know what I mean? Fair enough. I, I don't I don't know what the evaluation is on them relative to where they were when Fertitta bought them, but like it doesn't seem like he's having a great time doing this. Yeah, I mean when when you have so many different you know, like for anybody that's not aware, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are already. You know, the, most of his businesses are in the hospitality you know hospitality industry. You know, casinos and restaurants and things of that nature. Uh, you know, he, he's really truly. While a lot of the NBA owners have you know have, have obviously taken a hit. You know, through, whether it's through the pandemic or the Hong Kong situation or you know like just a combination of everything. You know, he's one in particular. Like you know, to be completely honest with you, I look at it as like rather than him going ahead and bottoming out that franchise. You know, simply, you know, simply to, you know, to, to, to go as cheaply as possible. I think the NBA actually should be stepping in and, and probably and, and helping that situation. I know, again, I know this is speculation, but I, you know, this is something that I genuinely believe is going to take place. It's interesting. Um, the Rockets, like I saw a quote from Tim McMahon earlier today before we hopped on from uh, Christian Wood. So Tim McMahon reporting it from Christian Wood, mm-hmm. who was saying that he feels he could be a good second option for the Rockets and a compliment to James Harden, who he played some pickup games with in the offseason. Um, so, I mean, he's already talking about the second. I mean, does he know something about Russ? We don't. Like, uh, <laughs> I haven't seen him tweet that out yet, but that's interesting that he's not even like, oh, yeah, I can really fit with Russ and Harden. I can be a good third option. No, I can be a good second option to Harden. So I wonder, like, sometimes, too, with them having the relationship they had and people, like, not wanting to speculate and, and like, you know, giving Harden and Russ credit for being friends, like, do they secretly hate each other now? Like, are we are we going to find out that, like, they really didn't get on at the end here? Or there was a really ugly conversation between those two. So here's the funny thing. Have you ever been in a situation where you had the opportunity to work with a best friend or even a good friend? Yes. And I have, yeah, often, yeah, I have a story, to be honest. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I want to hear that story because basically oftentimes it sounds a hell of a lot better than it actually is in reality when you get that opportunity. No disrespect to some of my best friends out there that I've worked with, but the, they know damn well the truth of the matter is it's not great. It's not ideal. It's, you know, it, it's one thing to hang out with the person to watch movies with the person or do whatever, you know, whatever it is that you guys share as a common interest. It's a whole other thing to be dependent upon them it's you know, true. for your livelihood. But it, and the power imbalance is the thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think if Harden wasn't who he was, like if it wasn't clearly Harden's team and it, the team was built around him and he had, you know, more say and all of those things, maybe it would have been fine. Like if it was Eric Gordon's best friend yeah. and they were going to play, like it might have been different. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, in the same, like my story was I was managing a bar. Uh, during my undergrad and I had a buddy who was like you know man I really need some scratch like can, can I please come you know work for you and you know I'd thrown it out to the boys a couple times that I needed another bartender and he was not the guy I had in mind but I was like you know what I've known this guy since like grade five grade six sure I'll give him a chance the guy comes out he get he has to do three training shifts he does his three training shift his first shift on his own without getting trained it's like 5 o'clock. He's supposed to be there at 4.45. Doesn't show up. 5.15, 5.30. Calling this guy. Finally calls me back about 6.15. Oh, man, you know, like, I feel bad, but I'm just not feeling it. I don't think I'm going to do it. Wait, what? And I was like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me, man? Like, And, like, of course, like, I'm just managing the bar. Like, I don't own the bar. I don't the GMs. So the GMs, like, oh. hey, man, you hired this guy, too, and, like, you told me he was solid and cool, and he was neither solid or cool. So, yeah, no, I, I know the feels, but, like, I think that that could have gone better than it did, uh, both on my front and the, and the Russ and Harden front, because 
similar to the, the comments with Ben Simmons earlier in the year, you got to be able to take some criticism. And if he is one of your buddies, like your close friends, if you couldn't even hear it from Russ, who are you going to hear it from? No one. That, yeah. Like that's the reality. No one. And again, you know, it's funny. Someone actually hopped. You know, whatever episode it was, two episodes ago, when we were kind of going at James and going at the Houston Rockets, and you know, just being honest about their situation. Someone hopped in there and said in my DMs and was like, "Man, all y'all do is dog the Rockets. All y'all." Do- this is not a matter of us trying to bash them. This is just kind of looking at the situation, like you know, uh, and you know, in particular, you know, you had you know, uh, you had Mikhail, didn't work. You had Dwight Howard, didn't work. You had Chris Paul, didn't work. You had Russ, didn't work. It's you know, come on, like at a certain point, it really is just a, you know, that's the reality. So and- until Harden's willing and interested in doing anything other than the Harden show. And again, I understand what, you know, from a production standpoint, why he likes it so much. But until he's willing to do that, I think this is what it is. They also they also just don't know what they're doing, man. Like, that was the whole problem. Like, they had an analytics-style approach, and bringing Russell Westbrook didn't do that. And they brought him in because of the relationship with Harden, and a year later, that relationship has deteriorated, and Russell Westbrook adamantly wants out. So they don't know what they're doing. Then this year, Robert Covington, they deal him right away, like immediately to Portland. Mm-hmm. And then they go out signing Christian Wood. And Russ is asked out, and Harden has asked out, but we don't really know what that is. But it looks like they're going to compete. But they have an owner who wants to cut costs. And now they've signed to Marcus Cut. Like, what are they doing? Are they rebuilding? Are they not rebuilding? Like, And I love at Roosh Williams. I love the guy. He's my favorite mm-hmm. Rockets fan. But my God, if he, tell, if he says it one more time on the timeline that DeMarcus Cousins is the best big that James Harden has ever played with, Dwight Howard was the best player in a playoff series for that Rockets team, man. Like, or at I, least a few games of that series. That's that's for no, sure. No, he was he was the best player against Portland in that series. One hundred percent. Go back. Yeah. Go back in and that watch se- that yeah, series. No, in that series, he, I, I remember he had the two big games to start, and then you know he was still solid throughout. No, you're probably. And I know. And I know. I know Dwight's rep. I know. Like no one is gonna like argue with you if you're telling me, yeah, well, Dwight's bad news. We all knew that. That's why no one was mad at Harden when him and Dwight didn't work out. But now we've had CP3, and now we've got Russ, and like. So just just chill. Like I I mean Rockets fans, you know what it is. You you know your team's a mess. Like come on. You know what? It, but it, not even in Bruce's defense, I actually understand it. Like he's at that place where because remember it was just a couple of weeks ago when he was like you know pouring his heart and soul on the timeline, acknowledging <laughs> that it was over and yeah, that you know he was. I, so I get it. It, it this is this is that this is at that where you're at that place where it's like well maybe maybe you know hey you just never know. You know what it is. And Dwight that's okay. was, it just it just it just bugs me because like Dwight was averaging like nineteen points, thirteen rebounds, two blocks, shooting sixty percent from the field mm-hmm. those first two years in Houston. So don't tell me he didn't have like don't tell me he was washed when he got there. It wasn't yeah, no. yeah it wasn't like Phoenix Sun Shack out there, man. Like come on, or Boston Shack or whatever. Yeah, well, like Dwight still hasn't reached Boston Shack. Like come on, nah, even, even this year when Shack was firing <laughs> shots, I hate that Shack. Yeah, it was rough. With Dwight. It, yeah. it, it was rough for a lot of reasons. I hated the way it ended with the what the blown out Achilles, if I'm not mistaken. I hated just seeing him in, in Celtics green chasing it. Anyhow, well, that yeah. too. That it too. was ugly. Anyhow. But I was saying I, I hated Shaq's commentary on Dwight this whole. Oh year. Yeah. yeah, just get over it, man. Like Michael Jordan wasn't punching down at like I don't know Eddie Jones. You know he like he didn't give a damn. Like it, it, you guys aren't close. Nobody will ever be like Dwight was actually better than Shaq. So, like, stop carrying this petty feud, man. Nobody wants it. And you know the thing of it is, he's just never going to. Like, yeah. he, he, like from what we've seen from Shaq, you know, in the, in the 30 years that he's been in the spotlight, this is who he is. It, you know, it, yes, it's part of the reason why I've always loved his personality, but also at the same time, when it goes extreme, part of the reason why it's like, okay, all right, Shaq, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's really not much to say because, it, like, like you said, there's no need to be punching down. There's really no, like, it's a one-sided fight, and it always has been. But it really, at this point, it it it, it serves no one. No, it doesn't. I mean, come on. Um, what was I going to go to next? Oh, extensions. Okay, so last time we were on here, De'Aaron Fox. Okay, he has his extension. We kind of talked pros and cons of, of the Kings keeping him, that their hand was sort of forced. Um, Bogdan Bogdanovich, the Kings didn't match, so he is going to be a hawk. Uh, I want to come back to Atlanta in a second, but Bam Adebayo, Jason Tatum, and Donovan Mitchell also signed extensions this week. Um, I'm assuming you are on board with all of them, and, and there's not a lot of negativity that way. 
No, no none whatsoever. They they all made sense to me. Brandon Ingram was, was in that in that group as well. So here's the thing, man. Um, I was saying this on the timeline, but like a five year extension, ten years ago, like if if you extended your star four or five years, it was like throw a party. We've got our guy. You know, we've got four or five years to win, and it was amazing. But now, like I honestly feel like if the Jazz suck. Going into the All Star break and Rudy Gobert sneezes on Donovan Mitchell Mitchell one too many times, like I feel like Donovan could be like I want to trade before he even starts that extension. Like I, 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 I just the, the extension does not feel safe in today's NBA. It doesn't feel like you've got time to rest on your laurels and put things together over the next four or five years. It just feels like it takes like the slightest amount of pressure. You know, it takes the pot off of the burner but not off the stove. Yeah, it basically to me, you know, the way I look at it is if, if you are an organization and it, it doesn't always have to be this, but if you're in an organization that continues to, you know, fumble the bag or continues to mess things up, all you're doing is delaying the inevitable with one of those, you know, one of those big extensions. Now, it, it that like I said, that might not even be the case. You might do all the things, you know, quote unquote, right. And, it, you know, it simply may not work out. And yeah, that, that could be a threat. But I, I, I feel like we've been here. Um, on on the flip side, you know, much like, you know, if an organization decides after giving a guy, you know, like a huge deal like that, and they want to go in a different direction, they can do that. Uh, and even though, you know, that player may have, you know, put everything you know, like in motion to you know really supplant, you know, you know really plant, you know, you know, you know develop a you know life in that area, you know, he simply has to move on. Um, when it comes, you know, it's it really is the same thing on the flip side, and I do understand that it's not it's not though. It's not the same thing. On the flip no, no, no. Side. I'm saying it's the same thing on the flip side in 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 the in the way that like there's no guarantee. Meaning, I'm not saying it's equal. I'm not saying it's right for a player to do that. I'm just saying I agree with you. There's absolutely no guarantees when a guy signs a contract. Yeah, and I, like it's not that's not right. Like you can say what you want to say, but like it's just it's not good for the league if a star can opt out of a five year deal. It, yep. it, it, if a star can, you know, ask for, and I don't, I don't know if it, like Donovan Mitchell is the guy that, out of the names listed so far, that strikes me as someone with everything that was talked about last year, who could just be signing to get the max amount of dollars, and then, you know, at the, at the first available moment where he won't look like the bad guy, could ask out. Now, I'm, I'm not predicting anything. I just, I think we're gonna see it in the next few years. Like maybe it won't be Donovan Mitchell. Maybe it'll be Trey Young. Yeah, it could be a lot you know. of the, a lot of those guys. No, you're you're, you're actually one hundred percent right on this. But remember, the first time we spoke of this, I I threw this idea out there. You said no way. Let me throw it out there again. I think that in order to avoid this, you know, the owners, the, you know, the players' association, they should work it into where much like if you know if a player has a trade kicker, where like you know like where he gets an extra ten percent or an extra fifteen percent if traded. If you're an NBA player and you sign one of these deals and you want to get out of it, you know, earlier than you should, whether it's two years before or four years or three years before, same deal, like a, a trade kicker on the on, on the reverse end where you are voluntarily sacrificing you know, a, a bit of that contract in order to get out. I actually think that's the way that it should go. It would have to be extreme. Like it would have to be like, like what what would scare a play? like at five percent? You're giving back five percent on thirty mil a year? No. Like it's got to be like thirty percent, thirty five percent. Like it's got to be, you're you're giving up, you know, five six million dollars off your max deal if you want to like to actually have the effect that you're talking about. But I I agree. I'm saying, throw that in there. That, but what like I, but like what I would love to see, and I mean we have to, I would love to see. Okay, you get rid of the max contract. Okay, forget this thirty percent of the available cap idea. Okay, you have an honest hard cap. At a 120 million, 120, whatever you want to make it, okay? You have an honest hard cap. Teams can no longer exceed that. There's no lux tax. You go to that dollar amount, and then if you reach that point, you can sign players for the NBA minimum and nothing more. No MLE, no BAE. But what you do with this, okay, is you get rid of the max contract. So when LeBron James is a free agent, you know, Instead of fielding offers at $35 million a year, he has a team offering him $70 million a year. Okay, The Lakers have to pay $70 million to bring him away. Now, the Lakers wouldn't have a championship because it would have been impossible to fit you know, AD and contracts around him. But that's the way to go because for everyone who wants parity, now the Stars, you know, they just they can't like all feasibly team up. And two, like 
you're going to be able to keep guys because you're going to be able to offer them way more than said other team is with a star already on their roster. I think I, I think that's that's the future of the league. And also, it's it's more realistic. Like, you see all these guys getting $10, $12, 18000000 million who aren't worth anywhere near what the stars are worth, right? Like, LeBron's true value in his prime was what? Like, I don't know. $75 million. Yeah. Like yeah, like, yeah, if Clay Thompson's getting $34 million a year, then, like... LeBron's got to be getting 70, 80 million. Like, it would it would be interesting. It would fix a lot of the problems that people complain about. And this whole Supermax isn't working, man. And that brings me to, like, I think Tatum in Boston seem fine. Bam in Miami seem fine. You know, Mitchell, the deal is fine, but I don't know where him in Utah are really at, in honesty. Um, but Giannis, like, everyone assumes now that Giannis is going to sign the Supermax. Mm-hmm. And I have two points. I kind of want to go down two lanes here. One... The Bucks, who have won the most, you know, games in the conference two years in a row, and who have been more or less a contender for two years, despite some, you know, playoff failings, are viewed on the timeline as having failed with Giannis. <laughs> like they, like they've won an immense amount of games. They've been rewarded with, you know, various awards in the front office from the coaching staff. They have the back-to-back MVP. They just went out and, and mortgaged their future to try to bring in a guy um, in Drew Holiday who will hopefully, you know, put them over the edge. Like they have done on paper, like, don't be stingy. I guess you can point to the Brogdon move. But on a whole, like, they've done a really good job of building a contending team around Giannis and, and not cutting too many corners and... They've done just about everything right, except for, you know, trust the Kings with Bogdan and maybe cheap out on Brogdon. And people are talking about them like they've screwed everything up. So, I mean, the bar is impossible. You just hit it right there with that with that last sentence. It's an impossible mission because it, unless you win, it's F you. Like straight up. Like that's what it is. It's it's unless if they don't win, someone has to be blamed. And if, you know, you're going to have, you know, plenty of people on the timeline blaming Giannis and saying like, oh, you know, he's more of an 82 game guy, not a 16 game guy. Uh, he, you know, he doesn't show up big uh, when teams can hone in on him, you know, this, that or the other, whatever, you know, criticisms are there. Then you're going to have other people on the timeline saying like, oh, he just doesn't have enough help. And, you know, look at what happens to Middleton, even though, you know, look what happened to Middleton in that game where Giannis actually wasn't able to play in the in, in the playoffs. Um, you know, and then you'll have other people that no matter what, they're going to blame the coach in the front office. And, you know, to be honest with you, I you know, there's legitimate there's a legitimate, you know, gripe with in my honest opinion about what they did with Brogdon and also how they handled the Bogdan situation. But ultimately, you're right. They have done right by Giannis. They've, you know, they they've circled the wagons, they've you know, they've, you know, made a move with the co- you know, with the coaching staff. Uh, you know, Bud may not be perfect, he may not be great. He, you know, I may have legitimate criticisms of some of his postseason, you know, strategies or whatnot, especially with his rotation. Uh, but you know what? He's a, you know, he, he's an above average coach. Uh, you know, it's, you know, it's a significant upgrade from where you know where they came. They've done what they could do with that roster. So I do agree with you. It's unfortunate, and and the reality is, if he doesn't sign it, we're going to go through a, a year's worth of speculation that o- that's only going to add to the pressure that all of those guys feel. See, and this is this is my other lane. I think he's going to sign it. I th- I still think we're going through that year. Yeah, I think sucks. he's going to sign. I think he's going to sign the Supermax. I think he's going to be locked up for five years beyond the year on his contract, and there should be no reason that we're talking about it. I think the Bucks are going to win the most games in the Eastern Conference again, but I think there's a very good chance that like the Miami Heat got better, that the Philadelphia 76ers got better, that the Boston Celtics got better, that the Brooklyn Nets are going to be a contender. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the Bucks, if they like, I think all year, despite probably winning the most games in the conference again, and Giannis potentially winning a third MVP and being locked up, I think all year we're going to talk about it, and we could be. If you're in the Bucks right now, I, I think you know next year if they flame on the playoffs, Giannis could be asking for a trade in the first year of a five year extension, and I like and people on the timeline are going to be like, he he should be able to like yeah player agency like, people are absolutely going to say it's and and it's going to be like well what else could Milwaukee have done and haven't they earned the right now after signing him and getting him to agree that to like have a few years to figure this out and it's going to be like no people are gonna be like no. And so I, I just like I think that we're we're in danger of breaking something beyond repair here. That's my point. Well, this is what's really going to take place, and, and all of those points are valid, and, I, and, and I'm and I'm glad you made them. Here's what's really going to take place. You're right. One or two, you know, one or two more of these guys are going to ask out early on in a contract. It's one thing to ask in the last year or even the second to last year. It's a whole other thing to ask in the first year of a five-year deal. I do agree with you on that. And that's you know, we're going to end up in another either lockout, <laughs> in a likely lockout, until they get that taken care of. 
Because like that, that that's really the only thing that's going you're going to be able to change it. Yeah, they're gonna have to do something. Um, and, and somebody did suggest on the timeline like, what if you got a super max? There was also no trade clause, and I'm like, but teams can drop no trade clauses. So like, what does a no trade clause even mean if Giannis goes to, or leaks to to Woj that he wants out? And now the like the like the Rockets reportedly are frustrated that things were leaked to the media, but like, how do you stop players from leaking things to the media? And also, like that—that's one that that I will say, like they can go somewhere because teams absolutely always leak stuff to the media when they yeah. want to leak. So yeah, yeah, and I'm not saying it's one or the other here. I'm just saying, like, how do you stop these things? And it's like the player tampering. You don't. How, it, it, even in real life, um, last night in Alberta, here we have new restrictions on COVID. They made a whole bunch of new changes, and they have now said no one can be in your home except your family. Mm. Like even if your family doesn't live with you, they can't come over. Like, no one should be in your home. That's the biggest spread is, like, people continuing to be selfish, having those game nights, having people over for beverages, getting together for that family dinner, et cetera, et cetera. Don't have anyone in your house that doesn't live there, and we are going to enforce it. Then they didn't say anything. Then, like, yeah, there'll be fines. How are you going to do that? Is it going to be a police state? Like, are you, are you going to have your neighbors calling you every time a, uh, the, the police, every time a car parks in your driveway? Mm, I hope not, but I honestly, at this point, I, I could see that taking place. Yeah, and I mean, it's a, it's a scary reality, but, like, that's the same thing with the NBA. Like, how do you enforce unenforceable things? You don't. That's why, how, that's how, why, how do you I, manage? Always, that's why yeah. I always said the tampering rules were silly. It's like, stop. Like, how, you know, oh, you're going to find this team and, you know, and get mad at that team simply because it came out, like, when all of this stuff is taking place all of the time? Um, let's, let's, let's have a, a break, a word from our sponsors, and then we will come back and we will do some NBA over-unders. So, yeah, a word from our friends. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to help keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visiting, visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore, total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means even more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with free with a free $75 credit at indeed.com slash blue wire. This is the best offer available anywhere. Go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Good news if you're disappointed like me that the NBA season is over. Or at least it's good news for people who, unlike me, love this sport, which appears to be the majority of this country. The wait's finally over. Football is back. For now, at least. But probably for a while. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division and championship futures all day, every day. There will be a winner for the NFC East. I promise. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE. B L U E W I R E. All one word. Bet online. Your online sportsbook experts. Okay, so some early over unders, right? So seventy two win season coming next. Oh, actually, before I do this, before before I do the over unders, I made some strong worded comments about uh, draft draft Twitter last week. And um, did you get any DMs about this? 
No, most of the most of the draft Twitter probably hates me already, so they don't they they, they don't talk to me. I got a number of DMs being like, "Hey, are you talking about me? Oh, I don't think this is fair. Um, I work really hard, and I'm a white college kid who's offended by this." And and like again, I I did try to give some people like Gribbenoff and Frank and and Carlin that could throw in Ben Pfeiffer. Like, there's a lot of people who do good work, and it, it, I'm not necessarily talking about you. So it wasn't intended to like hurt any specific person's feelings, but I, I my overall sentiment remains. That you know, like there's some gatekeeping from a specific demographic in 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 draft Twitter. That was my point. I wasn't trying to like make any one person feel bad. I'm not saying you can't do good college coverage if you're a white college kid, um, but of that course. really shouldn't need to be said. But you know, I am gonna say it because I did I did get quite a few D, DMs on that one. So yeah, um, yeah, I'm su- I'm surprised they didn't presume that I said it. <laughs> <laughs> they they jumped to you. Nah, I mean, look. At end of the day, you know what? No one means any offense by anything on these shows, unless I say your name directly. And sometimes, I no, no, that's what I'm saying. Sometimes, sometimes I, I say mean your that. name. I meant it. Yeah, de- keep DMing me though. I'll clarify. I'll I'll, I'll hit you up. Um, that, but like the gatekeeping circles exist in a lot of communities. So like, mm-hmm. you know, for the the white college synergy account kids on draft Twitter, and then you have like analytics Twitter, and then you have hey, I played high school ball with somebody who made it mm-hmm. to the league, got to make a left hand layup where you can't talk ball Twitter, and it's it's all the same, man. It's like this group of people who think they know basketball better for usually a, what is a stupid reason, and then they tell you that you don't know basketball as well as them. As well as them because of that stupid reason. Yes. Um, and I'm not, I could pick on any one of those demographics, but we were we were in draft season, and I had had enough of that. And Jay Williams really had me triggered, in fairness. Before <laughs> last show, like, Jay I Williams know. had me irate. So uh, there, there's that. Hey, it is uh, what it is. Yeah. Let's look at some over-unders. Okay, so 72-win season. Um, right now, Milwaukee Bucks, 49. Do you like the over or the under? I'll take the over on that. That's only sixty-eight percent of their games. Um, mm-hmm. Only sixty-eight. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's just I don't like. We all think the Bucks are going to be better, right? Like, yeah, I do. I, I think I, Drew was an. I, drew, I think Drew is a, is a significant upgrade. Like, it's we, hard. We, we like, kind of alluded to that last week. Yeah, I think I think Drew makes them better. I think Chris Middleton came into his own most of last year. Um, I don't see any decline from Giannis. Uh, like I, I don't know where the drop off drop off is. I think some of their depth depth is nice. I think DJ Augustine's a really good backup point guard. Definitely. And they won seventy three percent of their games in twenty nineteen, and seventy seven percent of their games last year. So, I think like pretty easy over on this. Like I, I would feel pretty good about the Bucks at fifty three, fifty four. I was just gonna say as many as fifty five, depending upon how the year the year goes. Uh, the Lakers are at forty eight. I'll take the over, even even though I think you know LeBron's gonna you know kind of. Kind of be coasting for a little while, and by coasting, I don't mean you know taking nights, you know taking a, a ton of time off. I mean not you know not pushing it to the, not pressing it to the floor, you know, in you know week five. Yeah, like so the Lakers won seventy three percent of their games. They won fifty two last year, um, and I want to say over again too, but like those worries about like those deadly tweets about like oh are you gonna be mad when we rest stars and like. How many games are LeBron and AD gonna sit out this year? Like I might go under here because, you know, I I think so many people feel like the Lakers had an amazing off season, and you know I have those rest things. Like I, I feel like this might be a touch high, but I I could see them going over. But I, I I'd be worried about, you know, the Lakers also just won without home court advantage. How worried are they gonna be about being, you know? In the upper end of the conference, yeah, and and that's the thing. I don't think they'll be pressing for it. I think they'll win about seventy percent of their games. Yeah, which would put them at about uh, what four, that would put them at fifty. So, yeah. um, Clippers at forty-seven. On it, okay. It's gonna sound like I'm hating because that's the first one that I'm hesitating on. I'm gonna take the under, but right there. Like, 46-47 wins is going to be where they go. Yeah, I'm going to take the under, like, pretty happily to take oh, the under, to be honest. Like, again, I, I think the Clippers got better. I really do. I think Serge Ibaka is a significant upgrade for them over Harrell. Um, I, I think this is a good team. I like Luke Kennard. I think that, you know, some of the chemistry issues they had last year might sort themselves out a little bit more this year. I think not having Doc is a plus. Like, there's lots of things going for the Clippers. 
but I know that Kawhi Leonard is going to rest a lot of games. This team only won 49 games. Last year, 47 feels like a significant push for them um, in a 72-game season. Yeah, I, 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 I think, it, like I said, I think they're going to be very good. I think they're going to be a top three-ish seed, um, you know, it, anywhere in there. Uh, and and if of course you know you have that you know that type of talent if things go well they, of course they could reach the right around fifty but I I, I would say forty six forty seven is probably a good number. Celtics are at forty five and a half. Hmm. So they won forty eight games last year. Okay, played seventy two games, so they would have been over last year. How much does does losing Gordon Hayward factor? I guess. Um, I guess it's I guess what is a matter of do you believe that you know Tatum's going to even improve you know improve slightly? Brown's going to improve slightly. Kimba will be healthy and you know fit a little bit better. Uh, you know now that you don't necessarily have to share kind of the ball with you know with a Hayward when he's on the court. I I the, I, I could see him beat. Uh, you know what? I'll take the over on them. I, the I can Cel- see them doing. The Celtics do feel thin now though. Like they like they they do feel thin without Hayward there. Um, I like who is gonna play all their wing minutes behind Brown and and Tatum. That's a good point. Like it, it's gonna it's gonna be what like uh, Grant Williams, Romeo Langford. Yeah, like combination of like the yeah those guys. like I like or maybe they'll play a little smaller. Yes, yeah, get small. some of their guards in there, um, but. I, I don't like I mean I still like love Marcus Smart but they do feel thinner I I'm not sure like I I think Gordon Hayward is is almost underrated at this point like he got a terrible deal mm-hmm. um, it's it's way too much money for what he is probably but at the same time like he did average 18 points a game last year and he did facilitate in their second unit or I mean he started but he played a lot with the second unit like I I don't know. If, I think people are underestimating just just losing him, and I know that they did well within the playoffs, but yeah, and you know, th- there's probably some merit to that. And truth be told, Gordon Hayward's still a very good player. It's just, you know, just because I don't think he, I wouldn't want my team. You know, like, so you know, like as we always say, keep getting the checks. If you can get the money, get the money. But just because I wouldn't want my team to pay him, you know, thirty million a year for the next four years, doesn't mean that I don't think he, you know he's a he's a significant contributor. So I I, I can see that. And if you know if you go under on them, I, you know specifically for that reason because of, because of that lack of or loss of depth, I could see it. But I'm gonna, I'll go I'll stick with the over on them. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Nets, like how the Nets got forty five wins. And I and, have no idea. Yeah, I was gonna say this is impossible. I mean, so so to go to put this in perspective, they'd have to win about sixty three percent of their games. Which is something they haven't done since '02 when they went to the NBA Finals. Mm-hmm. Um, they like last year they won 47 percent of their game with Kyrie, you know, not being good when he was out there or not being out there. KD not playing at all. Like I, that's a really tough. That's a that's a significant jump. You know, you're you're asking you're asking them to uh, you know, 20 percent up in the win rating. I it, it's it's tough, man. I want to say under because I feel like things would have to go amazing for them to be over. Here's why I'm going to go under because I yes, I I want, I hope and I pray, you know, fingers crossed, you know, pointing to the sky all that good stuff that KD returns and is KD, but there I, I you know, we have absolutely no guarantee what it's going to look like how long it's going to look like that, you know what I mean? Like, you know, like if he's going to, if it's one of those things where he's going to, you know, just hit the floor, run and play 72 and, and just be back, or is it going to be one of those where he's only able to play 60 games because you want to manage his body and make sure that you're maintaining him over the course of the thing. And it, and let's keep it real. Kyrie, there's, li- you know, there's literally no way of knowing how, if he's going to be healthy throughout. So because of that, I'm going to comfortably go under. And you know what? The, you know, uh, Brooklyn, you know, fans are going to call me a hater. I think in the in their you know you know heart of hearts they probably have the same concerns. We'll we'll go through all of these um, probably in December when yeah. like the schedule totally drops and we know and all the pieces fall where they may. So you know, honestly, it's a better conversation then too. Oh, like I'll only do a couple more that I'm really interested in. So like, but I'll list them. So Denver's at forty three and a half. Miami's at forty three. Philly's at forty three. Utah's at forty three. Dallas is at forty one and a half. Which would put them fifth in the Western Conference. Hmm. 
I'm going to go take the over on them. I, you, you know that uh, I was a believer in Luka in, in season one. He converted me, converted me in season two. It's not that I'm anticipating that big of a leap again. Even if he just maintains it and just, you know, as I've been saying from the start, continues to work on that NBA body, I think you're going to see, you know, even a slight, you know, a slight, uh, you know, a slight improvement there. I, I would be surprised if they if they only win, you know, 41, to be honest with you. Uh, maybe it's like the fan pessimism again, but I I feel like they're they're gonna be under. Like I I just we did this last year, Josh. I know, and I was too I was too hard on them last year. But like I see Charks from the Ringer, John the Charks. Uh, he's a good writer, mm-hmm. and he was ta- they asked you know the Ringer did a survey, and he was talking about you know who won the off season, and he said he felt that Dallas won the off season because they um, didn't take on they actually took away money for the honest sweepstakes, which might not even happen. And they got they upgraded their team, adding Josh Richardson and James Johnson. And I'm like, I don't even know. Like Seth Curry was so good in his role last year. Like I, I like Josh Richardson. I get that that adds to them defensively. But like, do I really feel like Luca's gonna get significantly better than, you know, MVP ballot kind of guy that he was last year? Do I feel like Josh Richardson and James Johnson are gonna significantly change things? Porzingis might not be healthy to start the year. Like. I, I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm playing the cynical fan, but I, I don't know that the, the room to grow is immediately visible to me. I guess from that perspective, at least we knew that Seth Curry fit that role, and we knew what, you know you, you knew that worked. Uh, it, it is an unknown here on paper. I, I kind of agree with the analysis that I do think they got you know I do think they get a little bit better, uh, a little bit more flexible, and, and and you know well maybe not significantly better, but even you know better around the perimeter defensively. Um, but, uh, you know, you know, you know what? I get it. You know how I am with my team. I'm a little bit superstitious sometimes and, and that's completely fine. But I, I, I feel pretty confident that they're going to win more than 41 games this year. Well, I hope you're right. Like you were last year, because the other thing too is, um, you know, like could Trey Burke and Tim Hardaway Jr. Play any better than they did last year? Like, I don't, I don't know if that's possible. They both seem to have like career so hopefully that continues um the other one toronto at 41 portland at 40 and a half pacers at 39 and a half warriors at 39 hmm. suns at 38 pelicans at 35 and a half hawks at 34 Interesting. okay i feel like the atlanta hawks are gonna be really good this year am i am i way off on this you're not and you know what when you were you were taking you were taking some shots on the timeline and i could have jumped in and 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 tried to you know, <laughs> you know tried to cape but the truth of the matter is i i'm right there with you i you know i'm, I'm not going to consider you know consider them world beaters like i saw was that you that compared them to that uh you know the, the one year where they won like 59 games like, no it, that was okay that, it was no. it somebody somebody that you know that i i respect you know stated that and i was like let's not go that far but I could see this team winning in the 40s. I could, I absolutely could, you know, see this team winning, you know, 41, 42 games, being that type of, ex- you know, and being exciting. It's be- and obviously, it depends upon how the, you know, the pieces fit. It depends, you know, like, you know, are you going to get that same type of playoff rondo, you know, you know, for anywhere near a significant chunk of the season, or you know, are the rest of those guys going to, you know, going to work together? But at least on paper, the team looks so significant, you know, so you know, you know, so improved that. I find it difficult, you know, like, you know, I, I, I don't quite understand the criticisms. Um, I know there's potential for what happened with the Pelicans last year where there's, like, so many pieces from different, you know, ages and, and collectives where, like, it might never come together nicely. But it just feels like they have a ton of talent. And when you look at, you know, how long we've been off and these off seasons and how long these guys have had to get, get better – like, I know that everyone loves to play, you know, armchair analyst and, and question work ethics of kids they've never seen work out. But, hmm. like, Kevin Herter and, and, and Cam Reddish and John Collins and uh, every, everyone that these guys have drafted, like DeAndre Hunter, um, they have a lot of young lottery guys. All of, like, if any of those guys have a jump, you would say, oh, okay, that's not totally unexpected because they were drafted so high and that was, they always had a ceiling of X or YZ. And now they've added in guys like, uh, Bogdanovich and Daniel Gallinari, who you know can play at a high level, who have done so both in the NBA and internationally. Um, I, I just think this is like they have the potential to be a really, really good team. And if Trey has the type of jump that Luca had last year, or if Trey has a significantly jump, then they have a star on top of having, you know, eight, nine guys who can probably really play. So, you know, we'll see we'll see how it all comes together. But like I, I feel like the Hawks are gonna be the five seed, the six seed, like I think the Raptors are falling back. I would not be my hot take for this episode. Maybe is that the Hawks finish ahead of the Raptors next year. 
Oh, okay. While I could see both teams going back towards one another, I wouldn't necessarily have anticipated the Hawks, or excuse me, the um, Raptors falling out of the top six or seven. Uh, look, I think Raptors six or Raptors seven and Hawks six kind of feels. I, I could see it. I, feels I, I, all right I, to me. I could see it, but I. And I guess we, you know, we have to see what the Hawk, you know, excuse me, what the Raptors look like now that they've lost, you know, the bulk of their, you know, their their beef up front. Um, but yeah, no, I, I look, I I wasn't ready to put them in the five, but I'll say this: I feel pretty confident that uh, the, the, that the Atlanta Atlanta Hawks are going to win 42, 43 games this year. Um, let let's let's do uh, a look at some of the free agents who are left. Talk about who won the offseason, and let's talk about uh, what you've been binging and some movies, and we'll get out of here. Okay. So, free agents left. Um, Bobby Marks tweeted this, so I'm just reading off his list. Reggie Jackson, Shabazz Napier, Tyler Johnson, Evan Turner, Gary Payton, Yogi Ferrell, Emmanuel Moutier, J.J. Barea, Brandon Knight, Shaquille Harrison, Courtney Lee, Jordan McRae, Dean Waiters, Troy Daniels, Jamal Crawford, Marco Bellinelli, Glenn Robinson, Kyle Korber, Talbo Sevalosha, Elise Johnson, Malcolm Miller, Trevion Graham, Andre Robertson, Ursan Ilyasova, Frank Kaminsky, Taj Gibson, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, Noah Vonley, Damari Carroll, Jared Dudley, Chick Diallo, Bruno Cobacolo, Anthony Tolliver, Bismack Biombo, who I'm pretty sure actually went back to Charlotte, yeah, John Henson, Scala Bizier, Tyson Chandler, Kyle Quinn, Caleb Swanigan, Jan Mahinmi, Thon McCare, Norvell Pell. Um, is there anybody on that list that you're surprised is on that list? Uh, not necessarily. You know, there are some names that, that stand out. Like, you know, Bellinelli is, is always going to be a name that, you know, that, that stands out to me. Um, uh, you know, you got some wings. You got some, you know, but honestly, it's a lot of guys that I would kind of anticipate being camp invites uh, I wanna, and getting I, opportunities, you know, down the road. I feel like of those 50 names I just listed, 35 of them are former Charlotte employees. Like, uh, <laughs> I mean, former Charlotte, Charlotte first-round draft picks. Um he didn't even mention Alonzo Trier, which, like, honestly, I've been on one about Alonzo Trier the last few days, but, like, the guy shot 38% from three. He can handle the ball. He's a little bit like Dion Waiters in that sometimes you just want him to chill and, 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 and not do so much, but, like, man, like, some of the rumors I've heard about why he's not been signed are wild. I um, haven't heard these rumors, so I'm intrigued, and don't worry about you know you know saying them on the show. Yeah, um, some of the things I've heard about like why he isn't signed, and now he's not even getting lit. Like those 50 guys on that list, he's got to be better than 30. Those dudes that just listed easily. And look, Bobby Marks didn't even list them. Look, I'm going to keep it real with you. I, I really want to hear these rumors after the show now, specifically because Alonzo Trier was a guy that I wanted the Lakers to look at last year before the trade deadline. Like, like he, yeah, that that was a guy. He so, does feel he does feel like a, a guy like he's your ninth or tenth man. Mm-hmm. Stuff isn't going well with your two stars, and you throw him out in the third to see if he can just get three or four quick buckets. And if it doesn't work, you know, whatever the game's already lost. And if it if it does work, then. You get your horses back out there for the fourth, but I, I don't know, man. He just he feels like he's in the, he should be in this league, and it's kind of kind of odd to me. But yeah, I'll share this with you off off the air. Here's your hint if you're wondering. Uh, clutch guy, relationship with Kevin Durant. Yeah, I can't say any more than that. Anyway, but it's it's been weird. It's it's weird. It's been weird. Okay. Um, Mark's not listing him today. Really caught me off guard. I was like, this is seeming like you you listed Jamal Crawford, man. Like. Yeah, like like <laughs> all due respect because we love Jamal. Everyone loves Jamal Crawford, but like love that guy. But stop yeah. it! Like yeah, like, come like, on. Why, why would you list him and not list Trier? Yeah, and Jared Dudley. Like again, you're you're listing guys that like talent wise have been out of the league three years, but they're just great vets. Like Jamal Crawford's gonna be 41. Yeah, <laughs> like I'll I'll do respect. Um, who do you think won the off season? Are you gonna just are like should I just skip this? Like you think the Lakers? Should no, move I, th- on? I think I think a conversation could be held for the Lakers. I think the conversation could be held for the Hawks. I think we are far. I think I think it's clear that we're far more bullish on the Hawks you know, than other people are. So, uh, did, you know, did, did you have anybody other than them? <sighs> I, the Hawks and the Lakers do come to mind. Like we talked about this last week, the Lakers. It's, it's hard to hate what they're doing. They hadn't even signed Marcus Gasol when we talked last. Um, who I I was I knew he was going to LA man I knew he was going to LA I was like Pow is working the phones Pow Ginny and Mark had a Skype date I know it um, but you know like and not not like he's a crazy get and it's gonna play huge minutes but he's a really good fit for them 
Yeah, um, yeah he, he, like he's going to provide kind of exactly what they needed, you know. Like, and, and and to be honest with you, I'm probably most excited about his playmaking ability. Like, I love big to big action. I love the fact, yeah, that, that he's not just a a good passer for a big, but a guy that can actually generate and create. So, I swear, some of the stuff that just gets echoed on the time is the stupidest stuff. Like people were talking about, like, oh yeah, like he's a pylon out there. He can't switch in space. I'm like, which of Dwight Howard or JaVel McGee? Did you see switching in space in they the NBA play? Man, folks, just say what everyone else says. Like you, I know that people did, you know hopped in your DMs last week. They can hop in now. There's a whole. There's so much of that on there where it's like I know this isn't an original thought. I know for a fact that it isn't because I've seen it reiterated 18 different ways, or even the same exact way by every other every other person that just retweets and quote to, and quote tweets for you know for you know, for their you know 300 followers. Like, like so, yeah, like. It, 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 because because everyone at one point said okay Marcus All was done because of like one game or one series then that means he's done. The thing is like Marcus All still shot thirty nine percent from three last year, mm-hmm. and he's one of the best passers ever at the center position. Like there's just no way that Marcus Saul is a downgrade over Dwight Howard. I just don't believe it. Dwight Howard like you know barbecue chicken. Go search up Dwight Howard and barbecue chicken. And tell me how many times it was tweeted by Lakers fans. But he can't defend anyone's space, man. But, but I also I also don't want to make this about Bash and Dwight. And I know that you're not. But no, I, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm just I, saying. But like, I'm making that clear for you know for the you know for the listeners out there that would say like, oh look, now they're just dogging Dwight. No, no, no. It, it's just look. Dwight played very well in certain spaces, in certain in certain in certain spots, and and absolutely contributed to the, you know to that title. But he, yes, and, he, and he, he did least, good center things. Yeah, exactly. He did good center things. Yeah, but, but at like, the very least, with the things that Marcus All can do, it at the very least, it's a slight upgrade. I think it's a significant upgrade. It's it's significant in that case here. Like Dwight did, they picked Dwight off the scrap heap, and he went in there and he hustled and muscled and he did some good things on offense and defense. Okay, pissed but Jokic he, off. But he he cannot. Yeah, he 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 pissed Jokic off, Jokic off and he got some hustle some hustle points, but like. It's not like he can defend in space. And everyone loves to say to defend in space. There are very few true centers who can actually defend in space at a positive level. Okay? Anthony Davis can do that for you. So when you go small, you can let him do that. But, like, man, Marcus Gasol can be on offense with Anthony Davis and LeBron James and not hurt the spacing. Yeah. Which is the biggest problem with JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard was, like, if they're out there, one of them is hanging around. If they're not getting a lob or they're not getting an offensive rebound, they're just dead weight on offense. Like, Mark can go sit in the corner for you while LeBron and AD do their things and still have value and still have some gravity. Like, Marcus Gasol is a good pickup for the Lakers, man. I just, like, just people don't think. People, like, people don't think. Like, all players aren't the same. And if your only gauge is, like, this guy said he can't defend in space, like, he's, he's going to be a good contributor for the Lakers next mm-hmm. year. And Kevin, like I mean, lots of people said it. Kevin O'Connor said it, who's like a big Celtics guy too. Um, he's like, it, the Lakers are are a bigger favorite this year than they were last year. It's impossible to disagree with that. Like, even though I think the Bucks got better too, um, it's it's hard to disagree with that. You remember the Bucks last, year when, get better. last year when we were coming in, I said it's going to be you know Lakers or Clippers. I feel pretty confidently it's going to be one of those teams. You know that I was hedging because I, I looked at the Clippers as more formidable than they ultimately ended up being. Now, I'm going into this one, no, not overly confident, not being arrogant. I'm just being matter of fact. The Lakers on paper should win the title. That yeah. doesn't well, always happen. And very clearly, there's no such thing as a paper as, as a paper champ. You got to see how the pieces fit. You got to see what the injuries look like, and sometimes you just got to see how you know our players you know, you know ultimately contribute. But yeah, I felt like it, I felt like it was Clippers, Bucks, Lakers last year. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's Lakers, Clippers, Bucks this year. Like I really think too, people are have been too hard on the Clippers. Okay, like I think they've. Like, betting on Kawhi Leonard to not play great in a closeout game again with the way that his career has gone. Asking for Paul George to have, like, that... Like, he's had some bum moments in the playoffs, but, like, he forgot how to play basketball, and he was, like, admittedly depressed and battling mental health. Asking for the Clippers to fall on their face again is asking for a lot. Like, we didn't see Clippers-Lakers last year. I think that Clippers team is a lot better than, you know, the average Lakers fan is probably giving them credit for right now. Well, I mean, you know what that—that's that's more of a you know, like, yes, I understand, but big like brother, little brother type deal, and that's always. But be. but the Lakers fan base is so loud, and there's so many of them that I think that's leaked out everywhere to this idea that like, oh, the Clippers are underachievers, and that's just who they'll be. Like, easy because I, 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 I feel I, like this. 
I don't want to put that Clippers on Lakers fans. Like, like that, that didn't happen because Lakers fans. That happened because the Clippers fell on that, fell on their asses, and everybody laughed at that. Like that wasn't like. Well, it's, it's 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 both though. Like that's why it started, but like the echo chamber is louder than it would normally be. Well, of course, yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I think Lakers, Clippers, and Bucks. I I think the Heat, you know, probably aren't getting back. Like it was a nice year for them. I don't I don't know. Maybe if Tyler Hero is the piece that uh, that Miami fans think he is, so we'll see. But I think that's those three are the three I would pick as contenders right now heading into the year. Good stuff. Would you add a fourth? Is there anybody else you think this is in there? Denver, Boston, Philly. No. Miami? No, I don't think no. so. I, if anybody, Miami, because I do not think it was a fluke, as you know, as has been reportedly been echoed around. Um, I think I think they'll you know they'll be there to compete again. Uh, but I I I still you you know I I thought it was going to be Milwaukee last year you know coming out and you know, you know part of me still wants to see it so I I, I would give Milwaukee the slight edge right now. Um, let's let's wrap the show with some TV talk. I haven't been binging a lot of TV. Um, but I, I did watch a couple movies this week. What about you? Nah, to be honest with you, I haven't been watching. I've, I've, I've been kind of on the go, you know, with the holiday coming up. You know, obviously here, uh, everything is last minute and whatnot. Um, so I haven't really been watching all that much TV. I've, you know, movie wise, I, I do have some movies for that. You know, topic that you were, you know, going to bring up, but really, not, really nothing for to binge. Yeah, so something like that. That topic. Well, but before we get to that. Um, I did watch uh, Dreamland. Have you seen that? Heard about that? No. So, so, like, I was looking through, like, Google Play movies. And I check, man, I check every week. Like, is there some indie film I haven't heard of that I can rent because, like, I'm so starved for movies? Um, Dreamland uh, stars Margot Robbie and uh, Finn Cole, who was in Peaky Blinders. Hmm. He was, like, the half-brother um, Polly's son. I don't, do you watch Peaky Blinders? I, can't I remember. do not. I'm looking up Dreamland okay. right now. And, like, Travis Fimmel from Vikings and Warcraft. And, like, it's actually a pretty good cast. So, anyway, watch this show. Um, essentially, Margot Robbie's, like, a, a bank robber. She's wounded, fleeing a heist. And Finn Cole is this, like, young farmer, down-on-his-luck-dreamer kid. And he finds her in his barn. And he has to decide, like, does he turn her in for the, re- for the reward money? Mm-hmm. Or does he kind of let his, like, childhood fantasy of, you know being something bigger than he is with this, like, attractive older woman play out. And um, it's a bit clunk. Like, the first 40 minutes of this movie, I was like, holy holy crap, like, this is going to be a 90-something movie for me. Like, this movie is so... It's on the spot. Like, it's shot in Texas. You can feel the desperation. You can feel the hard times. Like, it just had a real air like it was going to be something-something. It didn't quite get there. It was a little clunky. Um, a little too like artsy fartsy with some of the cuts for me and like I'm not sure that the story is is where I wanted it didn't go exactly where I wanted it to go but um, definitely worth checking out I ended up giving it a 75 like especially in a year where we've been starved for movies if you're looking for something new to watch go check out Dreamland wait does it wind up being like a Bonnie and Clyde type deal I don't want to spoil things I don't like because I don't I don't know how new it is but like it's the first time I saw on on, uh, available to rent so um, hmm. it, it it does have that sort of a vibe okay. but it, it's not as it's less about where they go as to why they do it okay, if that fair makes enough. sense fair yeah. um, but then yeah I was talking about like have you seen like just we were texting before the show it's like has there ever been a movie where you've watched where like it just left you feeling like a bag of shit because it got punched you with like some real feels and I'm not talking about, like, the sad, like, somebody dies of, like, an illness or, you know, like, the stuff that is generally relatable, but something that's maybe, like, less, you know, cliche that just really hits you and you didn't expect it. Yeah, and actually mine kind of does both. It's Okay. It's the first time I watched Do the Right Thing. And it does pertain to the time in life when I watched it. I saw it in the theater, you know, 89. Uh, I think I was 9 or 10 years old, right? So wow. Radio, yeah, exactly. <laughs> radio Raheem's death, it, you know, was, yeah, for anybody, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen a movie that came out 30 years ago, um, <laughs> um, over 30 years ago, you know, Radio Raheem's death was so powerful and terrifying for so many reasons, you know, that I was just, you know, that I was just sort of coming to understand about my reality, you know, when it came to being prepared to deal with law enforcement. Um, that like it, it's one of those things where even to this day, I still feel like I did right back in that theater 
anytime I see that scene, or or if I think even if I think about the character. So like that movie got I've I've got a few. Uh, that movie got punched me. Actually, I'll just do two. And then yet the other one, honestly, is Precious. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. Have you? I have. Yes. Yeah. It's I watched just, it. It's just a sad and disheartening movie all around. I know that you know there are there are points in it and you know and you know characters that they they want to present as like you know the positive outlook or the positive outcome, but no, like everything about that movie is just sad to me. Yeah, and I mean, I got, I don't know. The story makes me sound good or bad, but like Uh-oh. being a white kid from Canada, right? Like the first time I watched that movie, I didn't get it at all. Mm. Uh, like you know, I think like I saw probably forty minutes of it. I don't even know if I finished it. And then I got to my undergrad and I was in a film class and we had to watch this movie. And like, even being like 19, 18, 20, whenever I was like, it's, it's telling how like real it could be for you and how, you know, it was just a movie for me because like, I think you have to have lived some of that to really feel it. And, and, and I think I get it way more now probably from interactions that I've had with people through the basketball world than I ever could have if I just, you know, been a white kid in Calgary who had never, you know, had American friends or had friends of, like, different ethnicities and stuff. It, it, it's, I don't know. Like, I, I think that's something about that movie that's just so so intricately for a certain group. Yeah, it's it's not going to resonate with it with it with everyone. But to your point, if you've had any, you speaking generally, if you've had any similar experiences or even you know a tangential you know experience, it, it definitely hits. And yeah, it, it it's it's one of those that it kind of you know makes me sick to my stomach even. But anyhow, what about yours? Let, let's be well, more positive. Well, I was gonna say, I was gonna say too, like it's such a terrible scene that like as a white kid from Canada, I was like, that's not real. That like it didn't feel realistic. But oh, like yeah, that's but it is. But it is for and I guess like that's the realization over the last ten years that it has like for my American friends that is realistic. Like the the violence and and the racial injustice is just I don't see it as much here in Canada. Not to say that there isn't racial issues in Canada, of course. Yeah. But like that level of public violence is not something that you know we're very accustomed to in Canada at all. Um, but yeah, so mine was actually a bit, a bit of a different route. Um, <laughs> It's hard to follow that up now, man. Like, um, <laughs> spring, spring, put some sprinkles on top of that shit pile. <laughs> well, I was say, my, mine was like we were watching The Mule. Did you ever watch this, the Clint Eastwood? The Clint Eastwood movie? I didn't, but I got you. Okay. I know what it and is. And it's, it's got some really funny moments because he's like an old, grumpy, white guy. And uh, it's probably like worse than that. But he has some moments where like... You just never expect him to be... He's, he's running drugs for the cartel, and you never expect that this old white dude to be part of it. So there's some very funny interactions with, like, him not knowing how to text. And there, there's also some very cringy moments where, like, Clint Eastwood thinks he's being, like, very savvy with his dialogue and his, mm. you know, depreciation of millennials and differences and perspectives. So, like, it, it's an up-down movie. It's all around. But, like, he has a, a feud with his ex-wife, right? Like... And I watched this movie when it came out a few years ago, and my mom and dad had recently separated, and it didn't really hit me at that time because it was whatever. But, like, they really, like, she really hates him in the movie. Like, he really screwed up. He wasn't around. He wasn't a good father. He wasn't a good husband. And at the end, you know, um, right before she dies, she says that you're, like, both the love of my life and the pain of my life. But, like, I'm so glad you're here now, like, basically despite me hating you and us never really reconciling before my deathbed, I'm still glad that you came because, you know, you were, you know, the father of my children. You know, like, it was was this big moment. And it just, like, it gut punched me because I'm like, I don't think my old man, like, my last interaction with my old man was him putting down my mom. And I was like, I don't think my old man would go to see my mom on her deathbed. And I was like, damn. And I just, you know, like, I was like, shit, this stupid movie I've already seen didn't even expect. It just, like, threw my whole Sunday upside down. I'm like, I don't want to watch this movie anymore, you know? Like, I, yeah. I don't want to watch another Clint Eastwood movie ever ever again. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> that, that was that was the vibe, man. Uh, I, it, isn't it crazy how movies can do that to you? You know, like, like when, when they're executed well and for whatever reason, whatever the plot line is, Something like that, you know, will will just like you know, kind of stick, you know, stick with you. And you go, yeah. I guess that's that's why we love them. Le- leaves you just feeling, yeah. 
I gotta say, like, I, I did not expect... There's, there's not too many movies anymore that you watch and there, there's any lasting impact of, like, frustration, sadness, anger, because I've seen so many, man. Like, I've seen so many movies. It's pretty It's pretty tough to, like, profoundly shake the boat or, you know, rock the boat. But that, that in that moment and that connecting thought certainly did it. Yeah, it's pretty telling that I went back 30 years and, you know, and even 20 years, you know, to get mine because... While yes, I have seen some pretty, you know, some really good movies of late. Uh, none of them hit me in the way that some of those older ones did. Yeah, and, and I mean, there's lots of movies that like get me to like drop tears. You know, like they mm-hmm. like because you feel in that moment. But there's something like there's like generic feelings of like empathy where like you can totally like. And I'm thinking like right now, I'm thinking of like Moonlight, mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm like empathetic and understanding of like how hard that journey was and like it, it hit me and there's lots of movies and i was what's the one that we talked about with the brothers when we first started the podcast disney pixar did oh and they lost uh, their dad was it onward onward like there's lots of movies in the moment that you can really feel it but like it's different when it so directly connects to what you're living yeah absolutely. yeah um i think that's just about gonna wrap us up man like maybe we should have done this first because that's like a like a heavy note to like wrap an episode of Dunks and Discourse but we're going to head to episode 60 next week um, I think we'll do some power rankings get back to bringing the guests or two um, yeah if you haven't yet please like rate subscribe review uh, and we'll catch you next week 